Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis 39. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but in my own personal journey, I entered full-time ministry um, around the year 2000. And prior to that, I worked at various companies, just like a lot of you do. And I, I was... Uh, working as a, a feeder in a, in a printing industry, putting paper on the back of a printing press. And then I sold printing for a company. But I noticed something, that when my life was right with God, uh, God wasn't making my sales calls for me, okay? So I don't want you to get me wrong here. I think God will honor hard work. But I also saw the favor of the Lord on my life. Anybody with me here? I saw how he was, he was blessing me. I saw how my character and just my witness at a company could affect many lives. And that's not me sounding my own horn. That's just me saying God was working in my life and my presence at a particular company was just impacting other people just because of who I was. Because I tried to share my faith with people. Because I tried to show the kindness of God uh, to people along the way. And so Joseph was this, uh, this kind of person. He, he left an imprint on people. I just want to ask you a practical question. What would you say your imprint in your spheres of influence is right now? How are you impacting the company that you work at? How do you impact your family and friends? How do you impact places where you may volunteer? Do people know you're a Christian? Have you left the fragrance of Christ in that place? By your work ethic, by your character, by even taking stands that may not be popular with other co-workers or students, but you've decided to make a stand for Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, folks, you can have an impact wherever you are if you decide to take a stand for Jesus Christ. And so the Lord was causing this prosperous life to happen for Joseph, even though he was not where he wanted to be uh, in terms of his location. The Lord caused all that he did to prosper. He found this favor. And he, he, that is Potiphar, made him overseer, middle of four, of his house, or over his house, and all that he owned he put in his charge. What happened to Joseph is Joseph became what is essentially a steward in the house of Potiphar. A steward, as defined in Scripture, is one who manages his master's goods, takes care of his property. Ultimately, what a steward does is for the sake of his master. Joseph really had no personal belongings per se, but he managed what belonged to his master. And in much the same way, that's what we do as Christians. Ultimately, we are not going to take anything with us. You all know that? Naked we came into the world, naked we're leaving. Even if you're dressed in a fine suit in your casket, all of that's going to wither away as well. We've had people buried with all kinds of stuff. But you're not going to take any of that with you. What you're going to leave behind and what you're going to take with you is what you did here for the kingdom of God. Amen? That's what's really going to matter. And so notice that he was put in charge of all these things. 1 Corinthians 4.2 is a good verse to think about stewardship. It is required of a steward that he be found, what's the word? Faithful or some translations say trustworthy. 
And that's what Joseph was. He was a trustworthy man. I don't know how many trustworthy people you run into these days, but I'll tell you this. If a person who's running a company, uh, an employer, finds a trustworthy person, he's going to want to hold on to you. He's going to want to trust you with a cash register or knowing that your ethic is a high ethic. So here's what happens. It came about, verse 5, that from that time he made him overseer in his house over all that he owned. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. You can almost picture Potiphar sitting on a, a lounge chair, drinking one of those uh, frilly drinks in Egypt with an umbrella coming out on the top and just going, man, Joseph's a man. Joseph, I don't have to worry about anything. This guy's got it. He's taken care of. I'm being blessed. The household, the estate, whatever it was, was doing better. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. That's trust. And with him there, he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Not sure why that's mentioned there, except that there may have been some sort of uh, way that they uh, prepared the food or some ceremony they went through. I don't know. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. I think other versions say Joseph was well-built and good-looking. Now, Joseph not only was being blessed by God, but he had it going on on the outside. <clears throat> he was good-looking. He was well-put-together. You say, well, why does the Bible mention things like that? Well, there's a purpose. The Bible's going to mention Joseph's handsome stature, good-looking appearance, because he's going to draw the attention of another in this household because of the way he looks. And we'll get there in a second. Like Laban before him, he said, the Lord has blessed me because of you, because of Jacob. That's Genesis 30, verse 27. So Potiphar understood that Joseph's presence was blessing his household as well. Joseph being called handsome in form and appearance is a double accolade, by the way, only mentioned in, uh, in the case of one other person in Scripture that I know of, and it is Rachel, his mom. She, in Genesis 29, 17, is called beautiful in form and appearance, and so is her son. So I think you'd say that he had good genes from mom. It came about after these events, verse 7, that his master's wife, Look with desire. If you have a New King James, it says, she cast longing eyes at Joseph. And she said, she wasn't very subtle. She said, and there's some adult content in here just as a heads up. She said, lie with me. Or if you have the NIV, come to bed with me. So all of a sudden, as Joseph is uh, growing and prosperous, and I'm sure he's getting many attaboys from Potiphar. You're doing a great job. What a great worker you are. Hey, I'm going to give you a 25-cent raise per hour. You're doing great. All of a sudden, he starts walking around the house, and Potiphar's wife starts to look at him with, uh, you might call them the Google eyes. She starts giving him the look. You know the look? And Joseph, I'm sure, began to notice. She cast longing eyes at Joseph. Now, we find out that since Joseph was a good-looking guy and he was in a foreign land where apparently sexual promiscuity was rampant 
and even uh, sexual sin among those who had servants was rampant, she began to cast this longing look upon him. She began to look at him differently. And, uh, you know, sometimes when, when something like this happens, we know the difference between a look and a look, right? And sometimes we can play, you know, a little bit ignorant about it, but in the end, she wasn't making, you know, there was, there was no hiding it. She was looking on him with looks of lust. And then she followed it up with, come and lay with me or come to bed with me. Sexual temptation is an area in life where many, many people fall. Uh, it is running rampant in our society. Some of you have looked at the latest stats on pornography and you know, the adult film industry, and we could make our list right now. It's, it's, a, it's a touch screen away for so many people. They're in bondage right now to sexual sin. And Joseph is in this household, and he's being propositioned by this woman, and she is in a very prominent position. She is the wife of his master. He's, a, he's in a pretty awkward spot. Some years ago, as I was working for this printing company, I was an account executive and I was calling on companies and uh, I had to tell my boss one day that, hey, I have this, this great opportunity and it looks like we can sign a deal with this client, but I said, this woman is making passes at me all the time. And so I'm not sure my boss was a Christian. There was no outward signs that he was. And my boss said to me, well, just start telling her about Jesus and it'll be all right. <laughs> Pretty funny, huh? Just tell her about Jesus. I think you'll be able to quench that. So here's Potiphar's wife. Now, why was she doing this? Well, was she a, a woman who, with loose morals? It's quite possible. Maybe she was a woman who propositioned all kinds of servants. We're going to find out there were multiple servants in this household. I have found, I'm sure you have as well, that when someone has a lifestyle in this way, when they're very forward and loose, they tend not to just be doing it in one sphere of life. Now, somebody may start there, but I'm saying if someone is this, that has this kind of mindset, they probably do this in more than one area of their life or with more than one person in their life. It's been suggested that it was possible that Potiphar was a eunuch, that he had been emasculated, because what happened is that when you uh, elevated to a position like this and you served a, fair, a pharaoh or a king, sometimes to keep you away from his harem, they would literally emasculate you and you'd become a eunuch in the service of that uh, king or whatever. And that would keep you away from his harem, but it would also keep you focused on your work instead of being, you know, uh, uh, focused elsewhere. And so it's been suggested that maybe if he was a eunuch, maybe that's why Mrs. Potiphar, we don't have her name here, so we'll just call her Mrs. Potiphar, why she was uh, so apt to want to, you know, maybe find uh, solace in Joseph's arms. We don't know for sure. This is speculation, but she is very forward and she says, I want you to sleep with me. Now, can you imagine being Joseph for a second? He's probably still 17, 18 years of age. We know that hormones rage at that age. He's been abandoned by his family, sold into slavery. He has every reason to be bitter, 
every reason to be resentful. I wonder how many nights he went to bed in tears, soaked his pillow with tears. I wonder how many times he asked the big questions, the questions that we all ask about God and where is God in this and what's happened. We know he cried and begged for his life when his brothers first were putting him in the pit and considering what to do. He was crying out to them, asking them not to do it. I'm sure he's had a lot of tough moments. The Bible doesn't tell us about all those moments. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you about a special offer that we have in relation to Genesis 39 and how to deal with temptation. We could all use more help on how to deal with temptation. And I wrote a book called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. And one of the major themes there is how to deal with temptation and really to follow Joseph's lead on how to put on the full armor of God and how to deal with the typical ways that the enemy, the world, and the flesh come at us. It's our special offer on Living Truth Radio, and here's how you get a copy of the book. Go to the website, livingtruthradio.org. That's livingtruthradio.org. Click on the donate button. You'll see the book there. And just go ahead and put for any size donation to Living Truth Radio, we will send you a copy of that book. Just make sure you put your information there. We appreciate your prayers and your financial support. God bless you. You know, if you want to look for reasons to justify a fall to sin, he's probably got them, don't you think? He can say, well, look, you know, uh, I don't even know where uh, God is in all of this or uh, my family's left me. Nobody even knows I'm here. I'm so far away from home. Maybe he could find some comfort in her arms. Maybe, maybe Joseph could say, hey, finally someone's going to pay a little attention to me, attention to me, and maybe love me. And we have all of our lists that we can make when we want to do something dumb, right? We know that this is against God. We know we have clear instruction. But sometimes when we're in tough situations and temptation comes like a flood, we can find all of our reasons why we should give in to temptation. You know, it's easy for us sometimes when somebody else is on the precipice of making a dumb move, we warn them, we say, don't do that. But then we're faced with the same, the same situation and sometimes it's hard for us to, to uh, you know, not give in to temptation. Joseph had his list. Uh, maybe he could have said, well, this will be good for my career. Maybe he could have said, you know what, if I don't, uh, acquiesce to what she's saying. If I'm not with her, what will she do to me? You know, he was in a tough spot. And so uh, here's what he does, though. He refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, look at verse 8, With me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. He has put all that he owns in my charge. There's no one greater in this house than I. And he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. Joseph responds to this, and you know, you got to be impressed with a young man of this kind of character. And he says, No, I can't be with you. Your husband has given me charge over everything, he's made me a steward in this house. Have you noticed that sometimes when you're going along in life, and you know, Joseph has now even though he's gone through this, this devastating tragedy with his own family selling him into slavery, now he's, he's gotten a taste of success. 
He's getting the blessing of God. And now, all of a sudden, when things are going good, have you noticed you come off a spiritual victory, you lead somebody to the Lord, you're feeling good about your Christian walk, and all of a sudden, the devil with the blue dress on comes calling, right? I think it was Greg Laurie who told the story that, you know, uh, he had become a Christian and some of his friends began to warn him that temptation was coming and to watch out because the devil's on the prowl. And he said this beautiful girl, I think a girl in high school, came up to him and said, hey, what are you doing this weekend? My parents have this cabin and they're going to be away. And, and she's basically, basically propositioning him. And he went, he had a, like an epiphany. Oh, this is what my friends told me about. <laughs> and he knew it was temptation. And he said the reason he knew is because girls normally didn't proposition him that way. Beautiful girls coming up to him that way. So he was like, ah! You know, when Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened and the Father spoke. And he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. If you look at the end of Matthew 3, the record's there. The Father affirms the Son. He says he's pleased with him. And immediately after that, we move into Matthew 4. And Jesus is tempted three times by the devil. Right after a great spiritual high, you could say, right after a great victory, right after uh, affirmation and even accolades, here comes the devil. And Luke 4.13 says the devil's always looking for an opportune time. And I'm sure you've noticed that opportune times for the enemy to come in like a flood is often when we're either coming off a victory and feeling like we can do this and you know we're good to go, maybe a little bit prideful, or maybe when we're feeling weak. The devil's first temptation to Jesus is in the midst of his fast. He said, if you're the son of God, if that's true, if the, what the father just said, you are his beloved son, if you're the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. You ever been there before? Yeah, why should, why should I be hungry right now? I'm supposed to be a child of God. I'm supposed to have the blessing of God. And here comes the enemy. In an area of need, food, eating. Look, let's be real in the church. We know that we all have a drive to, to be with someone. If, unless we have the gift of celibacy, we are going to have a drive to be with someone in that way. It's a natural drive, a God-given drive. God made it up. We, we hesitate sometimes in the church to talk about sex, but look, God thought this up. It's God's creation, but it is to be fulfilled in God's way and in God's time. And look, this is where the blessing is found. You go and you just look at reports and interviews that they do on people that have lived together and then people that have waited. I'm not saying God can't redeem and restore any situation, but I'm saying God's way is always the right way. It's always the right way. And the world... Uh, basically throws mud at that constantly. And the church, look, we're not, we're living in the world. We're not to be of the world. Uh, we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. But look, we, we're affected by this stuff. The enticements and the temptations come. And it's, it's true that there's a struggle for men and women in the church as well. And this is a great response. He says, look, my master, he's given me all this charge the only thing that he's not given me is you, because you are what? Look at verse 9. You are his wife. 
Now, people sometimes say, well, does it really matter in other cultures that are not centered in the God of the Bible? Does marriage really matter in those cultures? Apparently, it does. Apparently, in Egyptian culture, when a man marries a woman, another man ought not to be messing with that woman. Oh, but wait a minute, they believe in a thousand or a million gods. Who cares? Uh, marriage is from the Lord. That was a quiet amen, but it's still all right. God created this, and he created it for mankind. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. By the way, that's singular. So Joseph says, how then, end of nine, could I do this great evil and sin? Now you would expect that he would say right here, and sin against Potiphar. But he doesn't say that. He says, how can I do this great evil and sin against two? Against God. Now she might say, which God? Which God are you talking about that you'd be sinning against? But Joseph says, my God, the true God, I don't want to sin because my sin, if I sleep with you, my sin, first and foremost, will be vertical. When we sin, brothers and sisters, I know this is a little hard to take sometimes, but when we sin, we sin against God. Every sin that we commit is against God. David, when he had sinned with Bathsheba in Psalm 51, and he's, he's at a point of confession now, and he's, he's going before the Lord with repentance and cleansing, he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what was evil in your sight. I want you to notice Joseph says something that would be totally unpopular to the people of his day and the people of our day. Can you imagine if a friend of yours came to you and said to you, hey, I'm considering having an affair with, this man or this woman, and you said, how could you do such a great evil? They would think that you're like a Puritan or something, right? We don't talk about things in those terms anymore. That sin could be categorized as great evil? And we don't even call things evil anymore. I think some people are not even certain that Satan's evil anymore. Give him a break. He He's misunderstood. Maybe he just needs some puppy therapy and he'll be all right. Sorry, that's just a personal commentary. To say to someone, this would be a great evil, I would challenge you, do something this week. When you study your Bible, go home and do a concordant search on the word evil. If you have a Bible program or if you have one of the old books that's a concordance, you will be blown away with how many times you see the word evil in your Bible. The Bible calls things evil. And we have a verse in Isaiah 5, uh, Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 5, verse 20, that what people call good, what people, what is good, people call evil, and they call evil what? Good, we're so confused anymore. We don't even know what to call evil anymore and what to call good because, as somebody put it who was being interviewed on Focus on the Family today, she put it this way, former lesbian, got saved in 1999. She was a professor at Syracuse University. I'm trying to think of her name. Anybody here they interviewed today? Anyway, um, 
She came out of the lesbian lifestyle. And she said one of the problems is that she was around some of the things of God. And she said one of the problems that we have in the church today, listen to this, is we have a low view of sin. That's profound, isn't it? We have a low view of sin. Anymore, we can just dismiss sin. We, we kind of, well, marginalize it. It's not that big of a deal, you know. The world is so confused. The world, you know, think about it. Egypt is a type of the world. Joseph's right in the center of the lion's den. He's right in the center of where they've made their own moral judgments about what's good and evil. They appease gods that sometimes are appeased by these terrible uh, festivals that they hold and so forth that have unspeakable things as part of them. And here's Joseph, sold into slavery, propositioned by his boss's wife. And he says, I can't do this. I'm not going to sin against God. Would it stop you in your tracks next time to know? Let's say that you have a habitual sin pattern in your life, and some Christians are struggling with those. I know in my first five years as a Christian, I had a lot of baggage. But the next time that you're faced with a decision as to whether or not you're going to do that thing, what if you thought next time, you know what? My sin, first and foremost, is vertical. My sin is against God. Now, one of the things that I know in your study, you mentioned in verses two and three, that God was with Joseph. And here we see that what makes him, I think, a man of integrity also is that he knew his place spiritually, that things weren't going to be the end, no matter how bad they got, because he knew that God was with him. And what other way can you turn to but to be with God as well and put your trust in him? And when we stumble and things happen to us, it's almost natural that we would, you know, kind of fall away from God. How is it that Joseph stayed continually with God and trusted him? I think that's a huge point, Oscar. And, you know, the end of the book of Genesis, chapter 50, you know, verse 20, says what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And I think it's a, probably a good suggestion that Genesis 50 verse 20 has to be considered a theme verse for the book of Genesis, especially as it relates to the life of Joseph. But here's something that you're bringing up. So when God is with you, mm-hmm. and, and it says it multiple times in chapter 39, the Lord was with him. But the Lord was with him through adverse circumstances. Yes. So the Lord did bless him in Potiphar's house, blessed him in the prison, and yet not ideal circumstances. He was a slave in Potiphar's house. He was in prison, falsely accused and falsely charged. And yet the Lord had not abandoned him. And it brings up an important point, Oscar, which is our definition of what it means to be blessed. Mm-hmm. You know, being blessed is knowing the Lord will never leave you or forsake you. But but blessing doesn't always have to do with geography or circumstances. And that's hard because let's face it, you and I are sitting here, we're in an air-conditioned room, it's kind of sort of working right now. And <laughs> and we can count so many blessings, right? But a lot of the, what we count as circumstantial blessings. I got a job, I've got a home, I've got a car, I've got a great family, dot, 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 you fill in the blanks. For Joseph, he, he had nothing of that. He, he had no family left. He was in a foreign land. And yet his perspective is still to honor God. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org 
and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at Living Truth Corona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.